Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. A theory of evolution, so forth and so on, which takes more faith to believe than the creation when you look at it. To believe that somehow there was, you know, an amoeba and everything came together and exploded and, and everything just started happening like this. That's a foolishness, right? Nobody here would look at anything created and, and even think that it could have come about that way. That's the best they have to offer. And because they're doctors or whatever, we look at it, God says, the wise of this world, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to me. Do you ever think about how foolish the ideas of this world are? There are people that we praise and lift up because we think they're so brilliant when in comparison to God, they're fools. Pastor Bill reminds us today, Pastor Bill reminds us today of how far off track we get under Satan's rule. We tell lies and detest truth because we believe what the world has said. But when you trust in God, you realize that he is trustworthy and only he is all knowing. And he makes the rest of us look like fools. Be thankful that he's on your side. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter three for today's edition of A Transforming Word. God is a gentleman. He doesn't kick down the door of your heart. He knocks. You know, we invite people to come to Christ. God doesn't make you receive him. We're, we're invited and we can say, no, I, I, not today. No, I still want this over here. Right. No, I'm still enjoying that. No, I'm not willing to put that down for you. That's the decision that you get to make. No one gets to make it for you. No one can want you say bad enough to bring you to a place where you say, I surrender. Right. Everyone surrenders on their own accord. And so I do encourage all of us today, if there is any question in your mind that you would surrender today, no one would leave here today wondering where you're going to go when you die, that we would all know for certain that we're going to heaven. And I pray we don't die no time soon. I pray everybody here live long and get old and everything else. But tomorrow's not promised to anybody. So it'd be nice to leave here knowing. Amen. Amen. So moving on now. Verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But again, he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? So we've looked at the work of God, right? We've looked at the work that he does, that we're, we're the work of sowing and tilling the ground and seeing fruit come forth. We looked at the workers, how that we're to, the way we're to do the work, the foundation is Jesus Christ that we build upon and we're to do our work in such a way that when it stands, it would stand the fire of God, it would, it would be found right in God's sight, it would be rewardable to him. And now God gets to really the heart and the crux of the matter. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Do you not know that you're where I live? Now, for you guys that went through the Old Testament studies with us. We did Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We're in Numbers right now. Particularly in Leviticus, we looked at the temple. And we looked at all the intricate details of the temple and all the things that had to be built and made and all to spec and measurement and all that stuff. And there's a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. A super significant place. There's the general area where people gather at the temple. There's the outer courts, the inner courts. There's the there's, there's inside, in the, the deepest part of the temple, there's the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was the place where the presence of God dwelt in the temple. When God says here, you are the temple of God, he's speaking of that place, the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies was such a big deal that only one person could enter in once a year. The high priest on Yom Kippur, once a year, he could go in. And if he had any sin that was undealt with in his life, what would happen to him? He would die on the spot. So when the high priest would go up, they, had, they would tie a rope around his leg with bells on it. 
Every once in a while, he needed to give him a shake, let him know he was all right. But if he died, they weren't going in behind him. They would just pull him out, send up the next fella. You know, it was that, that it was a holy, holy place. And God says, now that's where you are. You are the temple of God. I dwell in you. And so why is it a big deal? It's a big deal for a lot of reasons. But the reason it's brought up here, y'all, they're talking about we're Paul. We're of Apollos. God says, y'all, y'all are my house. You're of me. That's what he's going to get to. I, I, I want you to identify with me. I, I live in you. You're my house. Now, there's some other reasons why I bring that up and I think it's important. And I think I'm going to go in on a few issues. Uh, I intend to step on some toes. So put on your steel toes. But hear this out. When God says, I am, you are the temple of God. Says, I live in you. So if you're here, you say, I'm a believer. I've received Jesus Christ. God says, then I live inside you. Okay. Why is that significant? It's significant for a lot of reasons. One is significant because of the work that God desires to do. He, he didn't move inside you for nothing. God moves inside. God comes to dwell with us. With Emmanuel, God with us. Guys, I'm not going to be this far distant God from you guys where no one can contact me, where I'm, I'm unreachable. Guys, I'm going to come live in you, right? I'm going to live inside you. God dwell and dwells every believer but the Holy Spirit, the living God, every one of us. And he does a work in us, sanctifying us from the inside out. God working from the inside out to make us what he wants us to be, convicting us of sin, leading us into all truth. God lives in us. Now, other reason that's important, other things that Paul points out later is this. Well, because God dwells in you, should that in any way impact how you live? Should it impact where you go, what you do, who you go with, who you do what? Absolutely. It should impact every area of your life. But the Corinthians were very carnal. There is sexual sin was rampant. Other sins were rampant. And so Paul says, hey, do you not know? Did you guys not know that you're the temple of God? The way you're living, you, you, you're living like you don't know. Did you not know? Do you not know that you are God's house? When you go into a place, you know, God is with you. So consider where you take the Lord. Everywhere you go, God is you're his house. He goes. Are there places that you go and take the Lord that God would be uncomfortable? I'm married to my wife. There's some things, there's some areas and places I wouldn't take my wife. There's some places I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk her up in there. I wouldn't put her around those sort of scenarios and things like that. There's some people I got. I got some people in my family. They can't be in my house with, you know, around my wife and my kids, you know. There's some places and some people that I wouldn't take them around. It wouldn't be good. It would be uncomfortable. God says, I'm holy. That's what I am. I'm God. And I live in you. Are there some places that you go or some things that you're doing that, that you involve me in that I wouldn't want to be there? That should move you to not be there then. And I, I want to cheat ahead. Scoot forward. We'll be in this in a few weeks. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read 12 through 20 to us. And I want to just explain as we go through it. And like I said, we'll, we'll get into this more in depth in a few weeks. But Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul says, look, I, I, I'm not under the law. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. So I can do whatever I want. All things are lawful for me, but I don't want to do anything that has the potential to bring me under his power. I won't be brought under the power of anything. Verse 13, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy both it and them. And so one of the issues they had back then was the eating of food that had been either sacrificed to idols and whatnot. And Paul said, look, I, I, I can do whatever I want. I'm not under that law, but I won't do anything that has a potential to bring me under its power. Then he moves on into the issue that was really prevalent in the Corinthian church. Um, he says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know? Same phrase he used in chapter three. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you were brought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Summary real quick. Paul says, look, because God lives in you, because you're God's house, because you're the temple of God, he says, you shouldn't be involved in sexual morality. He said, do you realize that when you involve yourself in sexual morality, you're making God one with a harlot or with someone outside of him? And so speaking to anyone here that's living in sexual morality, if you live in and I want to just break it down for us because our society has muddled it down so much that we don't know what it is anymore. So sexual immorality is any kind of sexual engagement outside of a marital sex that God honors is marital sex. Husband, wife, doing the thing. God says, I applaud that. Do that. First Corinthians 7, Hebrews 13. God encourages it for anybody else. So if you're married and you're involved with someone that you're not married to. That's sexual morality. If you're married and you're, you watch pornography, that's sexual morality. If you're single and you have sex with someone that you're not married to, that's sexual morality. If, you, if it's not physical, actual sex, but it's oral sex, that's sexual morality. Any kind of sexual engagement outside of husband and wife doing a thing, sexual morality. We live in a sexually moral culture like they did then. Sadly, in that culture, it had pervaded and invaded the Corinthian church. In our culture today, some of these things are just commonplace in the church. People that are regular in church, go all the time, will just, just do like everybody else. Single, I go out to the club, I meet a dude, I meet a girl, we do the thing, didn't work out. And there are people that go to church regularly that they live just like that. So these aren't things to condemn anybody or to beat anybody down, but I have a job, I have an obligation to, I want you to know, right? That's not God's will for your life. God says, I don't want you, I live in you. If you're a child of God, God says, I live there. I'm in your house, I live there. I don't want you to do that with your body. I want, your, I want you to be preserved. That I might, whatever God has for you in the physical, sexual realm, it's in marriage. And as you hold out for what God has for you, you become available for what God has for you. Some people live and such ongoing sexual morality that God's like, I, I wouldn't even bring nobody to you in your condition. Like, why would God bring to a guy that's out there sleeping with everybody he can? Why would God bring you a, a woman of God? Why would he do that to one of his daughters? And to some, some woman that's out there sleeping with everybody, why would God bring you a man of God? Knowing that that's how you get down, right? So if that applies, may this new year be a time for you where you repent of that, right? God's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And these things aren't meant to shame you or to beat you down or to embarrass you. God's saying, look, if you I really want to bless your life, I, there's things I want to do with you and in you and through it. You got to do it my way. And God doesn't move in and live inside you and tell you not to do things so that he can rob you, so that he can he can rip you off of things. There, God says, if you just try it, do it my way. I, I, there are things I want to give you. There are things I want to do for you. There are things, but I, I, you got to do it my way all the way. 
just quick personal testimony in this and then we'll move on. Obviously, when I wasn't saved, I lived in sexual immorality. I didn't in any way. I was very immoral that way. Got saved. And that was one of the areas where I was like, OK, I need, I need to repent. Like I, I was made aware. I quit living with the person I was living with and broke up with this and that. I, I cut off different people or whatever. And I'm not saying that it was a, you know, it was an easy thing or I was 19 years old at the time. So it was like, man, this is life altering. I, this this is the life alteration. But I look back and I just know this. I know that I, I did commit. The one word I got from the Lord back then was there are things that I can do and I needed to do those things. And then I could look to the Lord to do for me the stuff I could not do uh, where I lack power. And as I made, you know, by God's grace, there were changes. There were, there were things that were, were done. I think for me, it was it was a it was a very short period of time before God showed me what he had for me. Showed me, you know, this God wanted to give me a wife. I met my wife two months after I got saved. And I know for a fact, had she met me two months earlier, the way I was doing and getting down, she would have just been like, you know, she wasn't even sure. She, you know, she kept me at arm's length for six months. Like, like she wasn't sure I was even saved then. So I'm still mad about that. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I just, I look back and I think, man, had I continued in that, then I would say, I know I would say there was a temptation, but had I continued to go forward and, and live in habitual morality, like, I don't know, I might be single and miserable. I might be wondering why God don't bless me. I, I can look back now and just say, man, God met me where I was. He knew I was weak. He strengthened me, helped me, but God had something for me. And so I love you guys. I do. I genuinely do. And I don't say these things again to embarrass, to hurt, to beat you down. But I know that I know it's a struggle. I know people are failing here. People are dropping the ball here. Repent. Repent because you can't repent. Repent because God wants you to repent. Repent because you're a Christian and God lives in you. He doesn't want to be dragged into those scenarios and situations. Repent because you're God's house and he's, he's holy. He doesn't want to be involved in those things. Repent because God's got a better plan for your life. Amen? Aside from that, right? Aside from the, the sexual morality, there, there are many other things because we're God's house where his temple, where, where he lives. Uh, we need to be careful about the things that we take in otherwise. So I didn't even go in on drugs and alcohol. But if you hear, and that's an issue, if alcohol is an issue, uh, if drugs are an issue, you know, if you're one of these believers that feel like, well, God made the herbs, right? You know, um, he made the cocaine too, right? You know, um, he made all that. But if you're one that is, Living in such a way, indulging in these things in a way, if you get drunk, uh, it's a sin. If you're doing drugs, if you're using illicit drugs, it's a sin. These are things that take you out of a mindset and out of a place where God can work. And so because you're God's house, this would be a great time to repent of those things and say, hey, I need help. We're here to help people with that. So if you're here and you say, man, I, I want to do better. I'm addicted. I'm in bondage. I need help. Please come talk to me. Come see one of the we, we would love to walk with you. Uh, many of us have been in bondage and God has walked us out. And so there's no judgment. There's no putting down. But don't continue. Don't continue to live like that. And God is saying, look, I'm, I'm, I live in there. I don't want to be drunk. I want to be filled with the spirit. I don't want to be high. I don't want to have marijuana in my system or, you know, there are other drugs than those. I just put those because those are the most common. But you name it. There's crack, speed, we, you know, whatever that we would take care of God's house. He lives here. Uh, that we wouldn't do things with it or in it that would grieve his heart. Moving on, 
Verse 16, women, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? And again, we become the holy of holies. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so God said, look, my temple is holy. If anybody destroys it, I'll destroy them. Interesting that there are people that go on destroying themselves with sin, sexual sin, alcohol and drugs, sin, other things like that. And what ends up happening, they just, they're destroyed. Speaking of the church, God, this is the same thing applies. We're individual members of the body of Christ. So we're individually the temple of God, but collectively the church is where God dwells. And so God's might messing with the church. He might come to destroy it. I'll destroy them. Right. Because I care about it because it's mine. I possess it. I love it. And God doesn't want it to be destroyed in that way. Verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. Always note, God never says don't be deceived or let no one deceive himself unless it's an area where people get deceived. So let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And this is the last stretch that he's going to go on, speaking to the people of God. God knows that some of us are so smart. We think we are, especially this generation. You know, we go, I Wikipedia everything. I know everything. And uh, so God says, if you think, if you in your mind, because some people can't receive God because they, they think they know better. They think they know more. They think they know. God says, if you consider yourself wise in this age, says, you need to become a fool. You need to bring it, bring it down several notches that you might be able to receive what God is doing, that you might become wise. Because there's a wisdom in this world that God says, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to me. Moving on. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So God said, look, those that are wise in this world to him, foolishness. I look at those that are considered the smartest people in our world, scientists and whatnot. And, you know, when you when you look at these are the smartest people in the world, these are the people that we we look to and they write our books. We go to their schools. We go to their classes. We we look to them, acknowledge them because of their degrees and the, the, the things behind their name. And God says they're educated fools. They don't even know me. They won't even acknowledge that that I created the world. They don't even know how the world got here. So they came up with something. They say, you know what? Couldn't be that God created the world. So putting that aside, you know, and they've come up with uh, a theory of evolution, so forth and so on, which takes more faith to believe than the creation when you look at it, to believe that somehow there was, you know, an amoeba and everything came together and exploded and, and everything just started happening like this. That's a foolishness, right? Nobody here would look at anything created and, and even think that it could have come about that way. That's the best they have to offer. And because they're doctors or whatever, we look at it. God says, the wise of this world, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to me. And so, again, there are some people, even people in those realms who they can't by faith receive the simple truth of God because I've studied something else. Right. I've read these other books and they, they said this and some really smart people agree. But those really smart people, are they really smart people to God or just in our system? Right. Our world system it elevates those that they want. It makes smart those that they want to be smart. So we got to be so careful for you guys that are sending your kids to public school and preparing your kids for college. Um, like Miss Monica was sharing, we have better be teaching them these things because they're going to go and be in schools and be in colleges and be in classes with people that want to rip it away. that want to rip it down. And so they, our, our, my kids need to know what the truth is. 
before they go stand before some dumb teacher that don't know um, and rip it away. So last three verses. Therefore, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. He says, all things are yours. I'm giving all things to you guys. Notice this. I don't want you guys saying I'm a Paul. I'm a Paulist. They're yours. Paul and Apollos, they're, they belong to you, right? The workers of God belong to the work of God. We belong to one another. So God says, you guys belong to each other. Don't, don't worship each other. Worship me. That's, that's the heart of what he's saying there. I've given all things to you guys. Verse 23. And you are Christ and Christ is God. Christ is God. That's the last piece is you are Christ. You belong to him. And that's where he wanted to leave it at. You guys belong to Jesus. That's what he wants to get through the Corinthians. The reason why we don't elevate man, the reason why we don't lean to man's wisdom, because we belong to Jesus. The reason why we want to live a holy life, a separated life is because we belong to Christ. And he says, and Christ is God's. I just believe in my heart that there are people that either need to repent in areas. And I want to walk you through what that looks like in a real way. Um, because God honors repentance. That's that's speaking God's language. And so this is what repentance is. It's really simple. God has made it available and he's made it simple for us. Repentance is that I was going in this direction, whatever that was, sexual sin, alcohol, drugs, just rebellion against God, seeking my own way. That was the direction my life was going in. Now I've heard from God. I agree with God that what I am doing is wrong. And so Two things. One, I acknowledge, so I confess to God, God, I'm wrong. Sin. I sin and fallen short. I messed up. And God says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. That's 1 John 1, 9. Then you need to repent. Repentance is just making a U-turn. I'm going to turn away from what I've been doing, and I'm going to begin today to follow you. Repentance begins in my mind. I first change my mind, then I change the direction of my body, and then I look for the Lord to help me to keep going in this direction. Repentance is not a one day, one time thing. Some people confuse repentance with confession. So you might, God, I did it again. I messed up. God, I repent. No, no, no. Repentance is something you do. You can't speak repentance. You live repentance. Confession is something you can say. But repentance is an ongoing. I made a U-turn and I continue to go this way. And so I'm calling many of us today that today would be for us a day where we acknowledge wherever we've been wrong, wherever our lives have not been right before God thankful for the blood of Christ that will cleanse and forgive us, right? That we have the opportunity for a fresh start with God and that we would go ahead and make a U-turn. God, I'm going to turn away. I I don't want to continue to walk in a a direction opposite of you. I don't want to walk in rebellion to you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk with God. And so that's how you say, I'm walking with God. I've repented from what I used to do. Now I'm actually walking with God, going his way. That's what he wants. He wants to be with you. If you can hear the heart of the gospel, right? God says, I want you with me. I want you walking with me. I want to walk with you. I want to be close to you. It's for you, right? It behooves me and it behooves you to be close to him. And so when he calls me away from sin and away from the things that my flesh enjoys, it's not because he's mad at me or hates me. God says, I, I want you next to me because the things that I have for you, I have things for you, but they're, they're, they're not in sin. They're going, to be in, they're going to be in purity and in power over here. And as you get walking with the Lord, you, you can't, you can't experience what God has for you in purity and power till you start walking with him in purity and in power, right? You don't get to have it over there. So my inviting you to repent, again, it's not to shame or to embarrass. I desire wholeheartedly that, that all of us would be walking closely with Jesus. Me, you, 
that there'd be a congregation of people in Inglewood that are walking with Jesus, that it'd be real, that it would honor him, that he'd be pleased with our lives. Amen. Thanks for joining us here on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by Paul to the Corinthians sometime after he lived in Corinth. He had an intimate knowledge of the church there, and so he felt compelled to write a direct letter to address the things that were happening among the believers there. The things he wrote about showed that there were problems in the church then, just like there are issues in churches today. Even among believers, there are real sin issues that can derail an entire church if those areas aren't dealt with. Are there areas in your life today that you know need to be addressed? If you need someone to talk to or to pray with, we're here and are ready to answer your call or text. Our number is 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. We're so glad you tuned in to A Transforming Word. We'd love to meet you. If you're in the Inglewood area, come join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday. And you can get more information on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. There, you'll also be able to learn more about this ministry and listen to additional teachings from Pastor Bill. Again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time as Pastor Bill continues to teach through 1 Corinthians. We look forward to another edition of A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.